I'm Andrew Blumenfeld, and this is the Money in Politics podcast. It will not come as a surprise to you, I'm sure, to learn that we have received a surge in questions, in demands, and in interests pertaining to how campaigns are forging ahead during the coronavirus pandemic. There is so much anxiety and fear. There's anger. There's also a lot of confusion, and we hear all the time from people who are working in and around political campaigns that are trying to figure out how to navigate in this new reality. One thing that's especially tough that strikes me is that campaigns are inherently social entities. They literally require other people to survive. They need donors. They need volunteers. They need voters. Campaigns actually aren't really much more than the people that make it up. So how do campaigns manage all of that while the world requires social isolation? This is something that campaign and political professionals are grappling with, and it's something that we wanted to explore further. And what about the economic crisis that is following this health crisis around? For political fundraising, this is a real double whammy. They are having to adjust how they adapt to the new realities of the pandemic and remote work and canceling public events. They also have to contend with the difficult task of soliciting contributions during a major economic downturn. Literally every day, we're talking to dozens of political professionals, journalists, candidates, campaign staff, vendors, donors, you name it, about this issue. We're hearing about what is happening on the ground from their perspective. They are asking for us to help share best practices. And today, we wanted to share with you the insight of someone who has been fielding perhaps even more questions than we have from Democrats around the country. His name is Kelly Dietrich. He is the CEO of the National Democratic Training Committee. He is someone who knows a lot about campaigns. He knows a lot about fundraising, and he is a tremendous coach and mentor to Democrats up and down the ballot across the country. We wanted him to weigh in on what he's seeing and what he's advising during this coronavirus pandemic. But first, let's hear a message from our sponsor. You're listening to Money in Politics, brought to you by Call Time AI. Campaigning is hard. Why not make fundraising easy? Using automation and artificial intelligence, CallTime AI lets you fundraise five times faster with easy-to-use tools like instant donor research, automated voicemail drop, and donor scoring, so that you are always calling the right person at the right time with the right ask. Go online to calltime.ai to schedule a demo and start your free trial today. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is just such a crucial and critical time to get people like yourself who understand this space and have seen it from a variety of angles and are now engaging with so many candidates and staff all over the country to weigh in and help us make a little bit of sense of it. But before we dive too deeply into the topic, actually, if you just want to start by introducing yourself a little bit, kind of what you do now and and maybe some of the work that led to what you currently do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. My name is Kelly Dietrich. I am the CEO and founder of the National Democratic Training Committee, the NDTC, because our, our name wasn't long enough or <laughs> we had to, had, had to develop the acronym NDTC. We offer free training to any Democrat anywhere in the country, online and in person. And that in person has a big asterisk around it in today's <laughs> current situation. But we've trained more than, uh, well, almost 50,000 plus people over the short four years we've been in existence. We have created an online academy at traindemocrats.org where any Democrat who wants to run for office, work on a campaign, 
or be a part of their local leadership can come and learn the best practices, how to be more successful talking with voters, running a campaign start to finish. Those 70 courses that are available online can walk you through everything from so you think you want to run all the way to what to do on election night. Our job, our goal, our mission is to try to identify the best practices in democratic politics and spread them out as far and wide to as many Democrats across the country as possible so that we as a party enjoy more success at the local, state, federal level. We build a deeper bench of candidates for future office. We help grow the Democratic brand at the local level by empowering people who are willing to go door to door in their neighborhoods and communities do so as effectively as possible. And finally, we think it builds a bottom-up approach that complements the Democrats' traditional top-down, which is we spend a lot of money focusing on you know president, Senate, U.S. House. There are tens of thousands of local offices up this November with people knocking doors, being the face of the Democratic Party in their community. If we teach them how to do one or two points better overall, think of the difference that could make statewide. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, the focus on down ballot is one that aligns really closely with how we think about things. And frankly, at any other time, we would have been chatting with you about kind of traditional best practices up and down the ballot and how we make sure all candidates, regardless of size of campaign, have access to the best possible tools and strategies and approaches. And yet where we find ourselves right now is trying to make sure that every campaign, including the very largest and those at the very top, and then of course, all the way down to and including school board, everything in between, basically helps to create these best practices in addition to then helping to disseminate them. So I'm talking, of course, about the fact that campaigns are entirely having to retool and reimagine how they're going to approach campaigning, fundraising, you name it, in the in the age of this public health crisis. So I'm curious, what are you hearing from candidates and staff about how they're beginning to reimagine this and as they're starting to develop these new best practices for this new age? I was quoted in Politico, I think, Today, sorry, I don't mean to sound like oh, I was quoting. Look at me. But, <laughs> no, no. Uh, there's there's a funny story with this. I have a six year old daughter. My wife runs her own her own business. Uh, we have a six month old puppy. We're all we're all quarantined together here in in Chicago. <laughs> I have seen the movie Frozen two about 186 times at this point. <laughs> and I was asked a very similar question to what you just asked by a uh, uh, guy David Siders who writes for Politico. And my response. <laughs> To him was it's uh, that this is this is crazy. Up is down, north is south, and as it's coming out of my my mouth, I realize that while yes, it is an apt description of what is taking place, it also stems from Frozen Two. <laughs> it is a quote from one of the characters there. And I was like, oh, okay, that kind of ties together. This yeah. whole situation. At least you didn't break uh, out into song, I suppose. <laughs> oh, that is not something anyone. Anyone needs uh, for all of those people listening to this podcast. Uh, thank you for enduring this much. No, look, it's it's a crazy time, and everyone, whether you are running for school board, for state rep, or even Congress at this point, everyone is trying to figure out what is our current reality. You can no longer send people door to door to talk to voters. You can't have volunteers in your headquarters. You can't have a headquarters open right? No one could have seen this coming. And so people are hungry because 
the reason we're in this mess, not the only reason, but part of the reason that we're in this mess and that it is so bad is the failure of leadership from the top of the ticket in the White House all the way down, right? The quote unquote loyal opposition, the GOP, well, I guess we are the loyal opposition to the president, but the GOP has for the past four years at least, but we all know it's been much longer, really divested itself, sold itself, sold their soul to following Trump. Who can be a better Trump supporter? And the administration is focused on short-term benefits for their friends, for the rich, for the people paying dues at Mar-a-Lago, as opposed to the long-term health of the economy or the country. And we're seeing it now. We're seeing it by their lack of regard for science, their disregard for international relations. I can go on a tangent about this all day, but the point is that those feelings that we all see as Democrats who've been fighting for greater access to healthcare, who've been fighting for paid sick leave, who've been fighting for all these things, now we see why we need them. It's not because, yes, it is. You know what? Yes, it is because we're a bunch of do-gooders who want to make the world a better place. Hug a tree. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> but more importantly, it's the right thing to do financially, for humanity, economically. Like, it doesn't matter. So you take those feelings of everyone feeling frustrated, everyone being angry, everyone being pent up. We want to make this change. We want direction. How do we adapt? And so at the training committee, we have been working overtime the past couple of weeks trying to pivot our materials, trying to show our online lessons, trying to develop new content to help people understand this new reality. And we are uniquely positioned in democratic politics to do that as our online school. Again, traindemocrats.org. I'm going to hammer it home. It's free. Anyone can come. Tell your friends. Tell your family. We can take a hundred people or a hundred thousand people on that site. Now that's that's not a challenge to the Russian bots out there to <laughs> overwhelm the site. But the truth and what we're telling people is that while you can't go door to door, while you can't be out there doing face to face, the fundamental strategies remain. The tactics differ. You still need to know your win number. You still need to know how many people you have to get to vote for you so that you're winning on election night. Whether that's a hundred or 10,000, you need to know that number. And then you have to adapt your plans to meet that number. So that means people have to get a lot more aggressive on the phone, on texting, on digital and social. Forces a lot of people to adopt new technologies, new ways of communicating that aren't always their go-to. They're not their most comfortable. Many people, especially politicians, do well face-to-face, -face, right? We're people, people, want to be out talking to people. You got to pick up that phone. We're part of the solution. Yep. And specifically then about fundraising, it's it strikes me that one of the things that's so difficult about the fundraising conversation right now is that everything you just said about sort of the moral case for better leadership ties directly to the case someone can make for why their campaign, their candidacy matters now more than ever. And so yes. that's a great pitch for fundraising, except that it also would run up against potentially the high levels of anxiety, the high levels of economic distress right now. How are you kind of coaching people to think about how to be delicate and balanced and how do they approach that situation? So there are no magic answers. Right? We joke in our fundraising trainings that there's no magic list. Right? Right. You've got to build your own list. Yeah, I remember yeah, you get that a lot. <laughs> I, yeah, 
I started in politics in the late nineties and everyone wanted to mail the Clinton list, right? <laughs> if we just get the Bill Clinton list, we'd have so much money, right? right it was always right, right. this mat there is no magical list. There's no magical answer for this, right? You need to call people and convince them that you're part of the solution as opposed to part of the problem. And you absolutely, just like you would at any other time, empathize with people. Talk to them. Don't talk at them. Talk with them. Give them a chance to explain their troubles, their thoughts, their ideas, their frustrations to you, right? Call time should not be a one-directional conversation. Right. You should be asking someone. If someone says, well, where do you stand on the bailout or whatever, right? Realize that's an opportunity for you. It's not the opportunity for you to get your message in. You can do that. You should. But it's an opportunity for you to say, well, that's really interesting. Why don't you tell me what you're thinking, right? Because they want to tell you where they stand. Yes, they kind of want to hear you. They want to tell you what they're thinking. Give them that opportunity and then use that to build, to give them hope, to give them strength. Be the leader that you want to vote for, right? There's a great sign here in Chicago on one of the shops down the street that says, be the CEO that your mom always wanted you to marry. I love that stuff, <laughs> right? Because it holds true too, right? Yeah. Be the elected official you always wanted to vote for. Why does it have to be somebody else? It should be you. And if you're not the best person for it, why are you running? Yeah. So I get, I, I don't get frustrated. I understand it, but I get fired up when people talk about how it's awkward and it's hard. Yes, yes, it is. But this isn't easy. It's never been easy. And you know what? We need people to make certain this stuff doesn't happen again. I need you. My daughter needs you. Your family needs you. The future of America needs you. So if you have to be uncomfortable for a few minutes to ask someone to help make the change that we all want, I'm really sorry you're going to have to be uncomfortable, but get out there and do it. Yeah. Well, and I think having that mindset also is a powerful way to probably ease those kinds of internal demons that you have about asking people for money because it shifts the conversation from one of I'm soliciting something of you for me to I am leading a direction. I'm leading a movement here that I want you to be a part of. And there's a variety of ways you can be a part of it. But one of those powerful ways is to chip in your dollars. And frankly, at a time like now where I can't ask you to go knock on doors for me, maybe giving 25 bucks, 100 bucks is actually in some ways the easiest, fastest, most socially distanced way for me to pitch <laughs> into your campaign. Yeah. Right. Like uh, some of us, uh, you know, we're, we're at home. We don't have time. I've, I, like I said, my six-year-old is here. We've got a six-month-old puppy on top of that. <laughs> right. I, I would love to be able to phone bank and text bank for people. I can't. Right. There are three ways anyone can support your campaign. They can vote. They can give you their vote. They can give you their time. They can give you their money. They are all just as equally valid as any of the others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm curious with all of the changes uh, that that campaigns are quickly adopting, I'm assuming and even from our experience we've seen that there are some that seem maybe better positioned to have adapted more readily than others, some that had already sort of adopted a variety of technologies or had just proliferated the ways in which they were reaching donors and voters before all of this happened. Are you seeing the same thing? Are there kinds of campaigns, candidates, staff that were better positioned to tackle what is, you know, tackle what has been thrown their way? And does that sort of help you communicate to campaigns 
the sorts of things they can be doing now just to continue to stay flexible and to stay viable and competitive during these really tricky times? Yeah, you know, really good campaigns. In all of my trainings, I usually end the fundraising training with one slide that says every campaign is a train wreck. The most organized and well-funded train wreck usually wins. <laughs> uh, that's no more. That's that's never been more true than than now. But the campaigns that are organized in that they have a campaign plan, they know what they're trying to accomplish and can lay it out, and that they know then they can measure and adapt. Right, even when things drastically change, when reality gets turned upside down. So we have seen campaigns that have been more open to try new things and to measure them to make certain that they're working. So campaigns that have been proactively engaging in texting programs. This is hard. And and look, when I was a young whippersnapper, right, (laughs) I remember embracing the advent of fundraising databases, right, And, and keeping records on the computer as opposed to just the call sheet. Nowadays, texting is the new technology that people who are older, like if you text me from a political campaign, I'm not responding to you, but most people do. Right. And we're adopting it here at the training committee. We sent out texts for some of our virtual trainings that we've done. And we saw 25, 30% open rates, which Mm -hmm. is unheard of. Right. I saw a stat that said, uh, 80 plus percent of all text messages are read within two hours. I mean, that's crazy. Right. I mean, if they don't respond, your message is still getting there. And it's an evolution of the way that society communicates. And we have to constantly remind ourselves we are not our voters. We are not our donors. This is not for us to be successful. We can't always think about what would I do. We have to think about what do they need. Right. And think that way. So texting, if you're running a if you are running a comprehensive state-of-the-art call time operation. I know of a certain call time (laughs) tool that can be very helpful. Can I shamelessly plug you on your own podcast? Oh, please go for it. People should know about this if they're listening to this, right? Because at this point, you have limited time, you have limited money, you have limited people. So whatever you can do to reach more people in less time that costs you less money, great. You need to do that right? And then you need to leverage those technologies, those strategies into areas that haven't been done before. Maybe, you know, you were really good about fundraising in these regards. Well, great. It's time to pivot it over to field because you got to get more people over there, right? Take it over to Facebook. Let's find people, right? Can you direct message people on Facebook? We have seen people doing that with some success because if people aren't answering their texts, some of them are on Facebook and we'll answer there. So, yeah. So I'm also, I mean, you mentioned the Bill Clinton list, uh, and uh, <laughs> it occurs to me, and I sort of alluded to this before, but it occurs to me that we're all grappling with the health crisis, of course, first and foremost. And then in the very, very immediate background of that is the economic crisis and the uncertainty of the economic times for so many. I just wonder, as you think back on fundraising during great economic times and bad economic times. Are there any lessons that you impart on, you know, aside from all of the uniqueness of the moment of it being so health driven and all the isolation and all of that? There's also just the fact that we're entering some very, very scary economic times for a lot of people. And I wonder how you've seen campaigns adapt to that in the past that may be useful today. Yeah, 
look, the financial crisis, the market crash in 2008, similar, right? We've been through recessions and downturns, uncertainty after 9-11, right? There were a lot of times where the nation has had critically important things. Now, this is subtly different and drastically different in many different ways than all of those in the past. However, the fundamental, in, in from my experience, from, from viewing those campaigns in that time, the fundamental variable that determined whether or not a campaign was going to be successful in raising money was the ability for the candidate in the campaign to ask. Were you willing to pick up the phone? Were you willing to talk to people and work through this? People want to be supportive. They want to help. They want to make a change. You have to give them that opportunity. Again, it's there's no magic bullet here, right? There are strategies to help you as your tactics change. But at its core, it's relating with people. It's showing empathy. It's showing compassion. It's giving them hope and asking for what you need to help them make the change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as we've mentioned now a couple times, it's it's in some ways that desire for change is in its starkest relief during during a time of crisis, you know, economic health or otherwise. I was really struck on I think it was Tuesday of last week that I was speaking to campaigns, congressional on down, who were operating in Ohio, and they had told me you know, as late as 11 o'clock the prior night, you know, hours before polls were supposed to open, they were getting conflicting information about whether or not their election was even going to happen. Ultimately, in Ohio, it did not. And they had a lot of questions about, we just spent down to zero, basically, to get ourselves to today, only to find out that today is not the day. And I don't actually know when election day even is and how am I going to go back and re-raise all that money. That drove home for me the level of uncertainty that exists. And certainly in my own personal professional life, it is stunning to me how different the day looks at the end of the day as compared to the beginning and how that has been true now for weeks on end. I guess the question here is just, how do you talk to campaigns? What kind of advice do you give to campaign staff and political professionals about dealing with uncertainty? What are the steps that they can take that are going to mitigate the risks, that are going to make sure that they're as positioned as they can to, to tackle the challenges that come their way when times are just as uncertain as they are? Well, I'm glad you're throwing me the easy questions, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's Look, right. this may be, this is certainly some of the most challenging campaign times. And I can only imagine sitting in an Ohio campaign when that happens, right? And you've spent all your money, you're ready to do all your outreach, and then poof, things change. There are certain factors you can control. There are certain factors you cannot control. You build a plan to meet as many as you can. The changing of election day is nothing you can't control. <laughs> right, yeah, right, exactly. Right? Trying to plan for that, I don't know how you how you yeah. could, yeah. right? Because what do you do? Like, do you not spend down because you don't know if it's going to change and then you hold back resources and it doesn't change. So you have to make plans for each of the viable contingencies. Right. And this is this is just my advice. Part of the reason I started Train Democrats, the training committee, is because 
this type of experience, this type of information was being walled off and wasn't being accessible to anyone who couldn't afford it, right? Could they hire someone who knew how to run a campaign? Could they, did they get endorsed by a, a big special interest group that would help them get that experience? And, and we want to make certain this is out to everyone. Our job is to collect this information. So I would, it's going to be amazing later this summer, this fall, to start collecting from the experience that all of these campaign managers and candidates had. How did they handle it? What worked? What didn't work? Because right now you have to, my advice is to plan for the contingencies that you know you can do. Can you manage and stagger your cash flow to hold back and avoid as much as possible before you know, a go, no-go date? But at some point, you have to commit. Right, right. I am hopeful that many of the immediate primaries are already being pushed back and you're not going to run into the, you know, the primary is supposed to be in a week and they're canceling it. But you, I cannot stress enough to anyone who runs, you got to have a plan. You got to know where you're going. That plan is going to completely change between now and election day, but that's okay. At least you know where you're going, how you're getting there and you're measuring and adapting over time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, then maybe actually a good sort of final place to land here on that note is what are the resources that you're pointing campaigns toward? Maybe just also remind us all that you and your organization are doing so that those that are listening, the crisis obviously is ongoing. The reality, as we've just discussed, is changing every day. So having a few resources that maybe folks can be consistently checking in on or, or know will be there along the way to, as a support system, I think might be a nice place for us to, to end. Yeah, absolutely. At NDTC, we have our online training at traindemocrats.org. It's available 24-7. It's on demand. It's completely free. It's it's not a bunch of webinars or PowerPoint presentations with people talking at you. These are professional adult learning, online learning courses that will give you not only the, the big theory about why you're learning something for your campaign, but break it down to how to put it to work on your campaign right away. We are also implementing, I think we're present, we have more than 20, we're doing like three or four a week, virtual trainings each week. The schedule is up at traindemocrats.org backslash events. Go to the site, you'll see it. There's a banner at the top. Please share those far and wide. Many, many other groups are also out there trying to be helpful. If you come in and register an account with us, if you tell us about yourself, We'll actually send you an email with all the other groups that are providing resources and helping. I do want to give a shout out. I know I'm going to leave off a ton of people. I know I apologize. But Run for Something has put up a COVID-19 general resources page. If you go to runforsomething.net, I think it's on the, the front page. You can see there they have everything from COVID-19 resources to candidate resources from groups all over the country doing amazing work. So those are the two places we've really been pointing people. We have a Facebook group, a private Facebook group, where people can ask questions. They can interact and help each other, which we have seen an explosion of activity over the past week or so. And then finally, anyone who has campaign questions can send them to questions at traindemocrats.org questions at traindemocrats.org. We're collecting those, trying to respond to as many as we can, and using those as the basis for blogs and our virtual trainings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We just want to help as many people as we can. 
That's fantastic. Those are really terrific resources. I think the I, I'm especially taken by this notion of a Facebook group because I, 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 like you, am really interested in seeing what people learn from one another as we go. And then also, I think as we get uh, further and further away from this and have and are able to take a step back and reflect, I think we're going to find that some people did really phenomenal things and really thoughtful, innovative impressive, you know, shows of leadership and campaign style. And it will be nice if along the way, some of us can can learn from from those that are being trailblazers in that regard. So that's great. I completely, completely agree. And if anyone listening out there has stories or examples or lessons that we should know or understand, send them to us, man. I mean, we've got to get I agree with you, we've got to get this information out to as many people as far and wide as possible. Democrats, we need to be constantly learning, evolving, adapting and getting better at our craft. And we need to be thinking not just about November 2020, but long term. How are we, you know, let's make certain that we're building the infrastructure now so that four years, eight years, 10 years from now, we're not in the same space once again. Yeah, well, I completely agree. And I'm so grateful for what you do. I'm so grateful that you came on to share it with us. Thanks so much for being here, Kelly. Really appreciate it. 